You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me and Arthur Parkinson. And today we are going to talk about biennials because they are such a thing that you need to remember. And I just want to say NB, 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 so biennials now. And that's why even though we did this last year, I feel they're such an underestimated group of plants. We both do. So we are giving you a kick to get out and sow them. Certainly are, or at least remember to get them in as plug plants. Good point, good point. (laughs) So what ones are you going to be sowing? I'm going to get going this weekend. Well, I'm going to try and get going like you this weekend in a friend's garden, because as you know, I've got limited space. So I've been thinking about this, how to have lots of honesty this time next year. But with limited space, I'm going to try and scatter, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, I'm going to scatter a load of honesty seed onto this bed that I'm going to prepare to plant cosmos plants into. What I'm hoping will happen is the cosmos will grow lovely, but under them will be lots of seedlings of honesty. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's going to work or not, but I don't know about you, Sarah. We've gone through spring and we've planted out for summer and I want to kind of have a bit of time off. So I tend to get in a lot of my biennials later on in the year, but I'm going to try and do half and half because the fact is you can't get certain biennials as plug plants. Foxgloves are easy to find, but honesty, mm. which I've not had this year, and I know you're, you at Perchill have got so much honesty, it fills the garden like a wonderful purple bubble bath, doesn't it? Mm. You just can't get it. So it is important to sow at least a few things or try and let things self-seed. So I'm at Nottingham at the moment at Mill Yard and all the dolly tubs and things are full of self-seeded foxgloves, which is wonderful. It's like the the whole garden here has started to wee wild itself because they've not been planted. They've just self-sown. They've all just come up and they look like a, a painting, you know, a Beatrix Potter garden. So um, that's the thing. I mean, what what are your top tricks for people who have got greenhouses and want to get on with it? I mean, I, I suppose I sort of, you know, to take a step back is why are biennials important? I mean, for me, they were definitely the thing when I started out trying to grow cut flowers as a business which is we really, really struggled from when the tulips go over, sort of, I don't know, 5th, 10th of May, something like that, until when the roses and the autumn-sown sweet peas came out, which was sort of 5th, 10th of June, something like that. And so we had this month that people tend to be really thinking about gardening and really thinking about getting married because it's such a beautiful time of year with cow parsley in the lanes and hawthorn blossom and everything. And yet the garden was really quite bare and quite boring and feeling very in-betweeny. And that's when I started experimenting with biennials. And I'm really, really, really so enthusiastic about them now because they absolutely plug that May gap. And I mean, certainly that's the sort of the number one reason I grow them. But totally linked with that is the value of them, which is they're so cheap. Because, I mean, if you sow them from seed, you can get like 250 foxgloves 
for the price of a packet of seed. I mean, that's the thing about buying foxgloves as seedlings is that it gets quite pricey. But with a packet of seed, I can have a river or, as you nicely put it, a bubble bath <laughs> of purple honesty all the way through Perch Hill for three pounds, you know, and that's their power, I think, is that they give you much bigger scale and kind of drama than an annual, but they cost the same because they're grown from seed. So, you know, whereas something like Nigella is, is wonderful, but very transient, you know, I can sow at this time of year right now in, in June or into July, but, you know, foxgloves, honesty, warflowers, sweet rocket, sweet williams, Iceland poppy stocks, you know, all of those are biennial. And you know, even if I go for 10 packets, I'm going to get incredible abundance, but it's 10 times whatever, 195, 295, whatever it is. So it's it's incredibly affordable. So, yeah, I just love them. And they're very easy going, aren't they? I mean, as, as I've said, they are seeds that you can scatter. You won't get as many from a, a direct scattering as you will in a seed tray, will you? But if you particularly, you know, for someone who's maybe got a new build garden, you know, they love freshly disturbed soil, don't they? And particularly foxgloves love poor soil. I mean, um, uh, they, they are the kind of thing that if you sow them now, even if you've got paving and you've got soil between your paving slabs, they will germinate and they just need to find their roots down, don't they, between those bricks or whatever. And they will very happily come up. They are the kind of thing that will colonise a, a garden that is allowed to be a little bit wild and, and free. Yeah, well, I saw you yesterday, actually, on your Instagram, mm. did a little video about caper spurge. Yes. Which is Euphorbia latherus, which I always used to call the dinosaur plant because I think its <laughs> eyes look like a sort of brontosaurus, whatever. They've got these hooded, slightly threatening eyes. But I love it. And as you said, the fact that the roots are in a crack with no nutrition or zip, yeah. almost zero organic matter, and you've got this plant that's like a shrub. You it's know, as big it's as the wheelie root. bins. It's incredible. Yeah. I've got this cloud of it right by three big horrible wheelie bins. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it astounds me every time. But I just hope the council don't come and spray it because it is not on really our garden. But so far, it's doing all right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, we've got to campaign against that. Yeah. But yes, so so maybe we should just talk a little bit about ones that people don't think of. So, I mean, in terms of foxgloves, obviously, mm. there's the wild foxglove, which is the deep pink one. And that's really pretty. And throughout the countryside, in Scotland, it goes, you know, on into August in the woodlands there. It mm. grows in dappled shade as well as sun. So particularly thrives in dappled shade, sort of, you know, in against a hedge or whatever. And my fa- I've got two favourites. And then I don't know if you've got a favourite. but Yeah, I've got a favourite. Oh, good. I love Pam's Choice, which is the one which is white with a crimson throat. Um, splotches in its throat. And um, and I love Sutton's apricot. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said Pam's choice because I grew that a few years ago now. It's quite different to any foxgloves we're used to, isn't it? Because it is white with then this most beautiful purple mulberry throat, isn't it? It's really jazzy. I remember growing it amongst bronze fennel and it was the mm. most beautiful thing compared to the classic pink and purple ones. But I was just looking at the amount of foxgloves now and it, it is more confusing, I think, for people when they're looking at foxgloves because there's so many perennial ones that you can grow from seed too aren't there yeah there's the pavifloras and there's a lovely one that's my mum's got in her back garden that comes back every year called mertonensis mm. which is um, a soft pink but it's got hairy little yeah. flowers and it's really cute well not cute but you know a bit of a teddy bear 
version of a yes. foxglove. Um, but you could sow those now too, couldn't you? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I think they're first year flowering perennials, so they would, mm. if you sowed them now, they'd certainly flower next spring. Yeah. yeah. And I love sweet williams. I mean, I, mm. I know that people think they're sort of old lady flowers, but I, maybe I'm becoming an old lady, but no, I, I just love their sort of cottage simplicity in a way. And um, there's that one called Dianthus Barbatus Electron Mix. Mm. And I remember we've got a shepherd's hut at Perch Hill as our guest room. And I remember I'd done a vase of flowers and it was in our narrow. So they were a good three and a half foot tall, these these stems. And I'd done a big arrangement on the end of the bed. And I went back three weeks later and they looked fresh as a daisy. I couldn't believe it. So I reckon they have a vase life of three to four weeks, um, Sweet Williams, particularly if you do our vinegar technique of putting some clear vinegar in the water and don't make the water too deep. That makes a real, real difference with them. And there's those lovely sort of really dark crimson ones like sooty, which are beautiful too. And those are all for sowing now because they're all biennial. Yeah, they're wonderful. And if you cut them back, you can actually get them going for almost two years, can't you, sometimes, if yeah. you give them a really hard chop once you've harvested them, so they then bush back up. I love them. I find that they do like to be in the ground, though, more than uh, being pots, personally. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know well, that. Well, I'm sure they'd do well in pots if they were just on a pot on their own, but I've found they don't like being amongst the, the bulbless sanya things that come before them. But they are something that, you know, I think the way you do them is the way to do it. You know, have them on mass, you know, drifts of them. They Mm. really do look gorgeous, don't they? And the the perfume we must comment on because it is the most gorgeous Mm. perfume. You know, so, you know, beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like stocks. I mean, Mm. so stocks are biennial. And um, I'm not sure I would passionately recommend most of the sort of Brompton stocks really unless you've got a greenhouse and then or a polytunnel or a cold frame and then I really think they're worth sowing now and then planting out in the autumn sort of September October time uh, perhaps if you've got a greenhouse they could go in after your tomatoes and we did that this season I mean you know last winter for this season at Perch Hill and we had the most amazing stocks to pick for the house and to pick for big vases in March and April for our way days. And I adored them, but but they are transient. You couldn't claim that they're cut and come again. No. There is one called Pillow Talk, which is much sort of bushier and looks like the wild stock that you'll see in Greece in the Mediterranean. And uh, with that, you get the fabulous scent, but they're not showy flowers. They're literally just single flowers. Pillow talks white, but the fragrance is amazing. So if you if you like scented flowers, they're a really good thing to go for. And then what about poppies, Arthur? A lot of them are biennial, aren't they? Yeah, I mean the one that you've made me just adore more and more, but mainly because you grew it in the greenhouse. And I will note that your greenhouse is unheated, so anyone could do this, even if they've got a, yeah. a tall cold frame. Uh, were the Iceland poppies, which I didn't realise were you know the kind of thing you could plant in a greenhouse over winter. I'd always thought that they just had to be outside but yeah it was amazing I think it was in in maybe even late January that I first saw you were picking them just the most exotic beautiful (laughs) things and they behave themselves much better in the vase than a lot of the annual poppies do don't they as long as you do the searing 15 seconds of the stems in boiling water before they go into cold water so they don't just droop but they become so fashionable and they are the sort of thing that if you don't grow them yourself you will be paying you know upwards of I've seen them for sale at Covent Garden for nearly 10 quid each um, I know. You know, when it's peak, peak flower time. Because our friend Willow Crosley's made them so fashionable, she often has them on her 
Instagram, doesn't she, where she's opening the buds. I think everyone's just gone mad for them. But I've seen you do it, and they are the easiest thing, as long as you sow them now, mm. to have in your greenhouse. And the reason I think we would now say have them in the greenhouse for really early picking is because the winter weather won't damage them. They don't have to have mm. any heat. They just need protection from the wind and the, the wet yeah. of, of late winter. But they do just as well. I mean, the first time I saw, I think, in the Bold and Brilliant Garden, you'd got them in um, what's the cottage garden in front of your house and you'd got them mixed in with, you know, Cerinthi Major and Sweet Williams and Peonies and they were really part of the whole, you know, traditional English cottage garden tapestry, but you'd put them in within all that. And it just made it look like Alice in Wonderland, just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of them. I really am. Mm. I've got some sitting right beside me at this moment <laughs> in sort of coral and orange. I've taken out the yellows this time, but yeah, they look amazing. Mm. I, I just love them. And so then before we finish, I, I think um, there are a couple of others I just wanted to mention. Well, honesty, we need to talk. Yeah. Mm. Well, why don't you do honesty, Arthur, and then I'll come back to the final two. I mean, um, I planted for, for my grandma, Sheila, the farmhouse tulip collection. Uh, last autumn and that went in to her front flower bed but within it I planted little plugs of honesty that came through from mail order and they were the tiniest little things I didn't think they were going to do much but they sat there all through the winter and then as soon as the light levels picked up they just ballooned through the tulips the foliage just got bigger by the day and then by the time the tulips were in bud there was the most beautiful froth complementing all these William Morris shapes of tulips in pastels and pinks and greens Mm. And it literally looked like a flower arrangement, this tiny flower bed in front of her window. And you you couldn't have wished for a happier marriage of, you know, the big cloudy tulips with this froth of, of dainty dancing flowers. And the nice thing about honesty is it's incredibly attractive to all of our native butterflies too. It's one of their favourite uh, flowers. I don't know why, because it's not particularly... I didn't know that. Showy. No, if you watch it, I think, I think brimstones love it. And um, yeah... Uh, it is a really good one for butterflies, more more so than it's good for bees. But of course, foxgloves are the the bumblebee's best friend. Yeah. So yeah. honesty and foxgloves, if you sow both of those now, you will have a, a nectar-rich garden at a time when all the blossom in the orchards has gone over. So biennials, as well as filling the garden gap when we've not got as much colour as we had in early spring, they're also plugging a really good nectar gap pollinators. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've reminded me of another one, actually, that mm. idea of this a sort of almost like en masse vase of flowers, which is in our tulip photo shoot this spring. You did the most incredibly beautiful thing through a carpet of forget-me-nots. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and then picked them. And you said one of Arthur's heroines, in case any of you don't know, was Debo Devonshire, who was the Duchess of Devonshire, who mm. very, very sadly is no longer with us but she was a great inspiration to Arthur with her passion for hens poultry in general and farmyard animals but hens in particular and Arthur did this arrangement that was in kind of memory of Debo which was this absolute beautiful sort of base of forget-me-nots and then he scattered two beautiful parrot tulips through it one was a green wave which is the pink and green and another was amazing parrot which was orange 
And I can't tell you, it was just the most lovely thing. And I've always been a little wary of forget-me-nots, which are biennial, which is why we're talking about them now, because they are such prolific self-seeders. And when we first arrived at Perchell, Adam and I, now 29 years ago, we walked into the place that was complete and utter paradise, entirely blue. So all the woods were full of bluebells and the garden was literally, what the garden there was, was just blue, a sea of blue, of forget-me-nots. And we thought it was the most wonderful and romantic thing we'd ever seen. But I then cursed the moment (laughs) of the forget-me-not because I literally was weeding (laughs) forget-me-nots for 10 years, just trying to get rid of this seed bank because the garden had been quite neglected. Mm. So every year they just seeded more and more and more and more. And so there were, Adam would say to me, literally, not literally, but I would say literally millions of seeds. Mm. They are like the lazy gardener's best friend. There's the most wonderful photo, isn't there? In I think it's Adam's book, The Smell of Summer Grass, when you had your last duck, Donald, was it? And he's waddling up the path and I can see the forget-me-nots. It's a wonderful photo. You almost look it up, Google image it or whatever. Um, I'll put it on Instagram actually. And he's waddling up the path and Sarah's trying to get, you know, her different (laughs) colour palettes in. But unfortunately, (laughs) the the forget-me-nots are beating her. You can see they're just en masse. And I think she's probably... At one point, gone on, oh, you know what, sub this. I can't, you know, <laughs> but it looks the most wonderful Beatrix Potter garden. Yeah. And it's interesting, actually. I, I think they are due a comeback. Our friend Jasper Conman yeah. loves them, doesn't he? He's got those big yeah. beds that he just yeah. lets them self seed with gusto through. And they are a good weed suppressant. I will say that for them. Yeah. And do you mm. remember at Hooker, we saw them in white? Yes. And white and pink, actually. Mm. And they sow them every year at this time of year. Again, a packet of seed, you get 150 seedlings or whatever, put them out. And then they just don't let them, they don't leave them in too long. So they haven't got time for the seed to ripen and scatter Mm. themselves. And so it keeps it more manageable. But yeah, I'm definitely going to revisit Forget-Me-Nots after that triumph this (laughs) this spring. Um, So they're definitely going on my sewing list in all three colours, actually. And we haven't talked about wallflowers. So I'm sort of saying we're coming to end, but we can't possibly because wallflowers are just, I mean, the garden at Perch Hill without honesty and wallflowers would be nothing in April and May. I mean, they just make the place. And that smell is just so magical. That sort of really nostalgic old fashioned perfume of wallflowers. I completely love what they were particularly good this year. I think it must be that it was quite a dry winter. Dry and mild, wasn't it? And I'm a, I did ask Josie when she planted them because I've never seen them look as beefy as they've looked mm. this year. I do think they like to get into the soil, their final planting position while the soil's still warm. Yeah, don't let them sulk and, you know, get pot bound. Get all these biennials into the ground if you can, as soon as you can. Yeah, sow them now and prick them out or literally mm. just sow them now and plant them straight out. But yeah. don't leave them pot bound and and to put out in the autumn you know really i think august is the time you want to try and get them and even if you get them into the ground and then move them like your brilliant idea that we started with which has got your cosmos and you're sowing the honesty below it so you know at least they're getting going and then you can always transplant them somewhere else but it's like this seed bank that you're not using because it's under the cosmos Mm. anyway so i'm hoping it'll work i mean if if not if you know if you are like me and you're having to garden in pots or you've got small garden just keep potting them on and feed them with liquid seaweed when i used to work at at bridgewater i remember i used to have to hold back on pulling out the summer display and so i'd have to put up hundreds of foxgloves i think they ended up being in two litre pots one year but they looked absolutely fine because i'd kept them potted on 
and uh, well fed with with seaweed feed. Yes, and I learned a tip um, the other day with liquid seaweed fertilizer, actually, or feed, which is from our our vegetable gardener at Perchill, Anita. So she feeds from the top, but also she puts the seaweed feed into a tray in at the base, and so she's feeding the roots and the leaves and particularly with wallflowers that, as you say, do need to keep quite a lot of nutrition to be beefy. I think doing that top and bottom feeding is is really rather a good idea. So I think we're going to do a trial of different things that we do top and bottom feeding and just see whether it makes a difference because it makes sense that it would. So then I think, finally, <laughs> there are two that I think are a bit less grown. Certainly they you wouldn't see them in part bedding kind of thing. And those are Hesperis or sweet rocket and the cow parsley, the black leaf cow parsley and Thriscus raven's wing, which is also biennial, as, of course, is the white cow parsley down the lanes in May. But um, both those I love because they can grow in sun perfectly happily, but they're also really happy in dappled shade. And I find those so useful for those sort of east facing or north facing borders and and corners to bring this lovely glorious brightness and in the case of anthriscus raven's wing texture the leaf is so beautiful in dark crimson made of lace and then it has the typical cow parsley white flowers a bit finer than the wild one and sweet rocket gives you full-on you know really gutsy mauve or white but i i really love the gutsy mauve and we've got that looking fabulous at Perchill at the moment and um I've been picking lots of that. And of course, it has that lovely, sweet, slightly sort of honey fragrance. So we need to sort of mention those. Can I just add one more? Of course. <laughs> Going back to the bins, accompanying the caper spurge is my favourite biennial, actually. It's called Viper's Blue Gloss. Um, oh, and it's course. the most wonderful, wonderful, hairy fog of a, a borage crossed with a delphinium, electric mm-hmm. blue anthers. And again, if you've got a paved over garden and you want to get it, you know, looking more wild and, and shaggy and free and romantic, scatter that or just buy it, you know, treat yourself to a pot plant that's going to flower this year and let itself seed and it will naturalise in a, in a sunny garden. And I, I love it now. I think it will probably be at my mum's garden forever because, you mm. know, it's flowering and already I can see hundreds of babies. <laughs> like, um, I don't know how many of the babies, then babies must fight with each other and eventually one becomes the king seedling as the others shrivel up but you know we've had it naturalizing here now for five years along with the caper spurge so two things that you know self-sober that the bees love i mean everything we've spoken about the bees love haven't we today yes and that the burnet moth you know the day moth the black and red uh vipers bugloss is one of its main Mm. food plants so um it's really important for that because that's getting increasingly rare so well as you can tell everybody um (laughs) We love our biennials for value, for kind of rivers of colour, like Arthur so brilliantly says, purple bubble bath spread across your garden with the honesty or orange bath oil spread with wallflowers. And, uh, yeah, they're just such good value plants and so easy to grow. You can sow them in a seed tray, prick them out not too late or plant them out, importantly, really, before autumn starts in my view so an ode to the biennial
Thanks for listening to such a wonderful, passionate episode of Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. I can't wait to go through my seed tin now and find all my biennial seed packets. Next week, Sarah is probably sowing everything that we've spoken about while I interview farmer Tom from Mudshoot Farm, which is a city farm. And I'm really looking forward to that because farmer Tom, for those of you that live in London, you may know of him because he takes his sheep around all the royal parks to graze on the grass meadows there to try and encourage wildflowers. So we're going to be talking about all the rare breed livestock that he's keeping at Mudshoot Farm, education of farm animals and how sheep grazing wildflower meadows really helps to get all kinds of beautiful flowers established. So join us then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.